As we start our message today, I want to invite you to take a moment and think of people in your lives that you may know or that you may care about. And you feel free to close your eyes if you like, if that's helpful to you. If you're like me, I'll probably first think of people like my family, like Julia and Ashley and Evan. And then I'll expand that to my parents and my sister in Vancouver. And then I'll probably think of my in-laws and extended family. And move maybe towards my, the people I grew up with in Vancouver or our kids grew up together with. And then I move a little closer to home here. Begin to think of perhaps people in our lives that we have lost and we remember and care for. In WCF, maybe there's people like Amy Johnson or Will Smith. And for me, uh, past month, I've heard that one of my senior pastors passed away just before Christmas and they celebrated his life yesterday. And another one of my high school buddies who uh, is, enjoys cycling too, he was involved in a bicycle accident on Christmas Day. And then bringing it even closer, I think of my two neighbors, Mitch and Janine and J- Brett and Janelle, who live in the same building. And then two doors down are Deb uh, and, and Jenny. And then on the other side, I think of Valerie and her aging mom, Sarah. And next door to them is Nathan and Jessica and their toddler. I want to invite you to think, you can open your eyes now if you have your eyes closed. Think of what it would look like for you to wish prosperity and blessing upon these people that you know and care for. If you're like me, you probably think of things like, or like most people, health, wealth, happiness, Maybe we'll think of things like uh, a mean, meaningful work or a good education, having rich relationships. And maybe if you're feeling particularly spiritual, you'll pray for their salvation, and that they would know Jesus. Now, we may or may not be able to change their situations in the ways that we want to because of distance or because of the resources we have available to us or because of openness to relationship. And we realize just how limited humans are at affecting meaningful change. But there is something that Jesus' followers can do that can bring lasting change to others. And it begins with prayer. In our sermon series on intercession, we're looking at how our prayer for others can affect change in our communities and in our world. And today we're going to look at how we can pray for those we know for their prosperity Now, as we learned from last week, by listening in on Jesus' own prayer of intercession for his followers, intercessory prayer, which means to stand in between or stand on, on behalf of, isn't some weak activity to preclude you from doing real things in, in life. But prayer is, in fact, a way for us to begin and empathize for the needs of those around us and bring their needs before the living God, the only ultimate change agent in the universe. So this week, we're going to look at how Paul prayed for those he cared about in his letter to the Ephesian church. In this case, he's praying for the Gentiles uh, who have come to faith in Christ. But I think we can learn from his intercessory prayer for them. We're going to see how Paul's example can lead us to five better ways to pray for prosperity. 
In the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, Will Smith plays Chris Gardner, a traveling salesman who is absolutely committed to overcoming the obstacles of homelessness to provide for his son. Through a series of serendipitous meetings, he goes from this down-and-out salesman to earning a coveted internship at an investment firm. He eventually goes on to form his own multi-million dollar brokerage for himself. Now, it's a common Hollywood storyline, right? It's uh, when life hits you hard, you hit life hard, you hit back harder. You put your mind to it. Don't listen to the naysayers. Believe in yourself and your dreams will come true. But is that what really happens for most people? Is that the storyline that most of us experience? It's a very Hollywood storyline. It's a very American storyline. You find it deep uh, and creeping into American Christian subculture even with a few minor tweaks. Put your mind to it and think of Jesus. Don't listen to the naysayers or the devil. Believe in yourself and maybe God and your dreams will come true. It's pretty much the same storyline. We just add a few religious words in there. It's a very self-oriented idea of prosperity. And this view of prosperity can creep into the way we pray for ourselves. God, make me healthy, wealthy, and wise. Give me a good-looking life partner, healthy kids, and help me not to, be, uh, help me not to suffer. But isn't, this isn't, I'm not sure if this is the view that God imagines for us. This view of what a good life orients how we pray for ourselves, but also how we pray for those around us. And when we read Paul's prayer for prosperity here in the Ephesian Uh, In Ephesians, we get a sense that he has a different kind of prosperity in mind. The first thing we notice that he doesn't pray for prosperity for himself at all. He starts off the chapter beginning this prayer for the church, but then he goes into the sidebar for 13 verses about his desire to serve others with this gospel mystery of Jesus. When we get to verse 7 and 8, he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. When Paul prays for prosperity, it's really not for himself at all. And when he does talk of himself, it's about how he became a servant of this gospel. Paul sees himself as least than the lowest of all of God's people. He wants people to experience God's prosperity, which we find is quite different from what we think is prosperity. The kind of prosperity and blessing that Paul envisions is what he refers to as the boundless riches of Christ. And this prosperity is spiritual in nature. But it's not merely spiritual, disconnected from our reality in everyday life. It's a spiritual riches that overflows into the material and relational world. And it's a theme that Paul talks about throughout the letter of Ephesians. He speaks of how, one, Christ has reconciled creation to God and to himself, and how Christ, two, has united people from all nations to himself and to one another in his church. Paul is saying that Christ is the source of all blessings, of all things good, of all things that bring us joy, of all things that make meaning for us in life. Paul is describing how this blessing culminates in uniting Jews and Gentiles, two very different peoples. This kind of unity is not even on the radar for the Jews that are listening to him. 
But hmm, if you were listening last week about what Jesus prayed for his followers in John 17, you might recognize something oddly familiar. What did Jesus pray for over and over and over again in that prayer? That Jesus' present and future followers would be one as Jesus and his Father are one. You see, unity is the true sign of God's prosperity in the world. Now, in a world that is increasingly specialized in its interest, divisive in its political affiliations or areas of study or competing ways of viewing the world, maybe even competing Christian theologies, this vision of unity seems like wishful thinking. It seems like a great ideal, but unrealistic. We can hardly get a group of people to decide on where to go to eat for dinner, right? How can we get united about how we run a country? Or how to bridge seemingly irreconcilable differences? And groups often define themselves by what they are not, right? Moderates will define themselves against progressives. Fiscal conservatives will define themselves against social conservatives. Citizens versus immigrants. Import car drivers versus American car drivers. Apple users versus Android users. Evangelicals versus Catholics. Atheists versus Christians. Blacks versus whites. Even as a local-born descendant of immigrants, I found this tendency growing up to define myself against first-generation immigrants, but also against long-time locals. We're constantly associating ourselves with groups in opposition of other groups. I'm this because I'm not that. But for Paul, prosperity that results in unity and reconciliation is far from unrealistic because he has experienced this blessing for himself and he has come to recognize what Jesus has come to do for him but also for the whole world. And Paul's conviction is that God chooses now, through the church, to reveal this unity to all creation. And this sidebar, this is a long sidebar for the first 13 verses, that he returns now back to his prayer in verse 14, which is where we are invited to, into this work of sharing this blessing with those we are in relationship through prayer. As Paul prays for his Ephesian friends, we are invited to pray similarly for this kind of prosperity that Jesus and Paul had in mind. In the past, when I remember my friends who aren't followers of Christ in prayer, I would pray something like this. God, help them to know how much you love them and what separates them from experiencing this full life and living relationship with you. Convict them of their sin. Help them to know you, Jesus, and what you've done for them on the cross. Give me an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with them. Does it sound a bit familiar? Have you prayed a prayer like that? It's okay to raise your hand because it's true. <laughs> All of those things are true. And we should pray for conviction of sin and revelation of Christ's atoning sacrifice. But what if we prayed that but a bit more? What if we prayed a little differently, especially in light of what we have come to understand is true prosperity in God's eyes? It might look something like this. God, things are broken in this world. And we're constantly inclined to look to other things for blessing, for meaning, for prosperity, apart from you. But as I remember my friend, 
I want to pray for her. I want to pray for him, these things, these five things. It doesn't have to be just these five. First is pray for spiritual richness. In Ephesians uh, verse 8, it says, Preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. But before I can preach the boundless riches of Christ to them, maybe I should pray the boundless riches of Christ for them first. And it might sound like something like this. God, I pray that they would come to see how much you have to offer them and how they think, what they think will give them a sense of meaning and purpose and riches in life pales in comparison to what you have to offer. I pray that they would know the depths of your love and of your joy and of your peace in the midst of whatever it is that they are facing. Pray for their spiritual riches. Does that seem, feel a little bit different than the original prayer? Secondly, pray for strength in weakness. Verse 16, Paul prays, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power. When we see what people are struggling with, we can pray that they would know the strength of God that leads them to know that Christ can dwell in their hearts through faith. The very presence of God can dwell inside of them. Now, people probably won't willingly acknowledge their weaknesses, but you can tell often what they are concerned about, right? When we're concerned about our health, we're acknowledging that we don't have the strength to fix what's wrong with our bodies on our own. When we experience difficulties in our relationships, we are acknowledging that we don't have the wisdom ourselves, or perhaps we don't have the willingness to change and make the changes required for the relationship to work. Those are areas of weakness. Those are signs of weakness, and we can pray for those to know God's strength. We could pray something like this. God, out of the glorious riches of Christ, I pray for strength in their weakness when they feel incomplete, when they feel inadequate, when they feel not enough. I pray your strength for them. Help them to know how you are drawing close to them and sustaining them in ways that they may not recognize right now. Bless them with the knowledge of your Spirit's work in their lives. And help me to know and see how you are at work, God. Pray for spiritual riches. Pray for strength in weakness. And third, pray for depth in shallowness. Verse 17 and 18, Paul prays that you, the Ephesian church, may be rooted and established in love, may have power. You may have heard of the Leaning Tower of Pisa, right? But have you heard about the Leaning Tower of San Francisco? It's a luxury condo tower in downtown San Francisco called the Millennium Tower, built in 2008. It's 58 stories high, but it's sunk 18 inches and it's tilted 14 inches. What's the problem? They didn't build the foundation right. A lot of times the problems, oh, can you imagine being a condo owner there? Imagine strata council meetings, or what do you call them? Housing association, homeowners association meetings. A lot of times the problems we think our, our problems are just symptoms of very, very deep problems. We spend all of our efforts and energies trying to prop up our proverbial leaning towers in our lives, trying to keep them from falling over. Many relational conflicts arise because we're unable to be honest with ourselves. We're unable to be honest with those we're in relationship with. Often we're more stressed about things than we need to be because we think working more 
or taking more control over our problems and over our future to achieve our goals is the answer. We often put on a strong and smart and well-put-together public self before others because we're not actually sure we like the inside version of ourselves. Here, Paul, though, prays for people to be rooted and established in God's love, deep, that the roots would be deep, so that everything on the outside, no matter what happens, would stand strong. And we, too, can pray the same for people to experience the depth of God's love. And, ch- and this changes the foundation of their lives and changes what happens as a result. Fourth, we can pray for spiritual vision. Verse 18 and 19, Paul prays that they would be able to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love surpasses, surpasses knowledge. Paul's previous request is deeply connected to this request. He prays for their spiritual vision, that they would be able to see and know something that they don't know yet, to grasp and to know. This week, one of our church members, Corey, sitting in the back there, he posted a question on his Facebook. He said, as people, are we unable, one, or two, are we unwilling, or three, both, to honestly challenge our beliefs? A number of people replied, and I, I was just thinking about my, my ser- the sermon when, when, I, when I saw it, and it's like, hey, I'm thinking about this. I think often we are unwilling, but not always. Sometimes we are unable because we are actually unaware. We're unaware that there's a different way of looking at things because we've been blinded by our own presuppositions. We've been blinded by our own experiences that have clouded our ability to see things as clearly as they are meant to be seen. And this happens in our understanding of God, too. And maybe you're here and Maybe things are beginning to become less cloudy for you, and you're welcome here. We invite you to journey together. We often fail to see and believe what God, as God really, that God really loves us as deeply as we long for. Why do we lash out in anger? It's because we believe that God doesn't love us enough to deal justly with those who have offended us. We fail to be generous with others in our resources, or to increase our giving over time as God blesses us because we think God doesn't love us enough to provide for us. We hurt others with our words and with our actions. Perhaps we hurt others with our silence because we haven't known what it's like to be truly, unconditionally loved in a way that changes our hearts. So we can pray that our friends, and even for ourselves, would see how much they are loved by God and so change their perspective on what they think is important in life. We could pray something like this. Lord, show them the depths of your love. Open their eyes and their innermost being to see how loved they are by you, God, and help them to see how your love, it changes everything. Lastly, pray for fullness in emptiness. In verse 19, Paul prays that they may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. How often have we prayed something like that for our friends who don't know Jesus? Pray for the fullness, for emptiness. And one of the blessings of getting older, I've discovered, besides more wrinkles, more white hair, and more responsibility, generally, is a greater realization of what you lack. 
You see, when you're in your 20s and you're looking for a partner, you're asking questions like, hey, can I have fun with you? What do you like to do for fun? But when you hit your 30s and 40s and as things go on, you get wiser and you start asking questions like this. Maybe not explicitly on the first time that you meet them, but you ask them, you think about it. It's like, what kind of trauma or insecurity are you unaware of that you're trying to compensate for as you, that I need to be aware of? All right? We don't think of those things when we're teenagers. Pray for fullness in emptiness. Because Paul's prayer honestly acknowledges that apart from the fullness of God, our lives are just a never-ending attempt to fill a bucket full of holes. Whether that bucket's financial, or emotional, or relational, or maybe even moral. Our sense of emptiness can only be filled by knowing how much we are valued and loved by God we sung about earlier this morning. But here's the thing. What makes these prayers effective? Is it because you prayed them? Is it because the Bible tells us so? What makes these kinds of prayers better isn't the way we prayed them, but because of the who is at work when we pray them. And that is incredibly freeing. Notice what Paul refers to over and over throughout the passage. I don't know if you caught it, but it's up there on the screen in the next slide. He says, I became, verse 7, a servant of this gospel through the working of his power. Verse 16, you're strengthening strengthen you by the power of, uh, through his spirit. Verse 18, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power. And ultimately, Paul concludes the prayer with a declaration. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. That's why things work. Because God does more than we ever ask for. His spirit is at work. How do our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers, those people that you imagined and pictured at the beginning of this message, how do they experience spiritual riches in Christ? By the power of God's spirit. How do they experience strength in their weakness? By the power of God's Spirit. How do they experience depth in their shallowness? By the power of God's Spirit. How do they receive spiritual vision and to see and know God's love for them? By the power of God's Spirit. In fact, how do we even know that we're empty inside is actually because of a work of God's Spirit. How do we even see that God is even a possibility to consider? It's because of the power of of God's Spirit at work in us. That's why prayer works, is because God is at work. So when we pray for others, the way that Paul has illustrated for us, it is bathed in deep confidence in God's Spirit to do what only God's Spirit can do. And when we pray for others in this manner, we're not praying in a condescending way. We're not praying self-righteously, says, I'm saved, you're not, repent of your sin. That might be true, but the posture is so different. Rather, we can say, God, I've come to know this mystery of your love for me, despite being such a mess up. But you love me regardless. Your good news is that you've died for me, 
and you've given me this new life, and your spirit has shown me who you are and who I truly am, and I want others to see and to know this for themselves. It's a prayer that's brimming with joy and with gratitude and with hope and humility, but with confidence. That's only possible because of God's activity in our lives first. This week, in your bulletin, you find a weekly prayer guide for you to pray for some of your friends. I invite you to take this. If you don't like paper like me, take a picture of it so it's in your photo album. Put a calendar reminder maybe each day or incorporate it into your daily routine. I invite you to pray. List your five to ten friends, neighbors and coworkers, and pray for them in the way that Paul has given us an example here. And I wonder, I wonder how God might answer those prayers. Pray for this rich life of Jesus to be made known to them. Pray for their prosperity. Pray for their blessing. Because if we really understand what God intends for prosperity and human flourishing, it's actually to pray for their salvation. But in a much broader in a much more holistic sense. And when we pray for this kind of prosperity for others, we find that something else happens to us. Not only do we begin to relate to our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers differently, but we begin to enjoy this flourishing, joy-filled blessing of God for ourselves. And we posture ourselves in blessing others. We find that we too are blessed. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for, ultimately, the work of your spirit that makes the words of these pages come alive to us and changes our hearts. We thank you for the example of prayer that both you, Jesus, and that you've given to us in Paul of how to pray for others. We say that it's hard sometimes. We're forgetful. We don't care as much as we think we do. And we're full of doubt. Spirit of God, would you change us? Give us faith and hope and love for those that you have put us in relationship with. Help us to see opportunities for your Spirit's work in their lives. And may we experience this prosperity for ourselves as a result. Thank you, God, for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. going to switch gears.